Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Okay, let's pray. We need some prayers. Dear God, we give you thanks for this gorgeous day. We thank you for our ability to travel, to go places and see family events, weddings and confirmations and baptisms and all the fun events, Mother's Day, Father's Day. It just seems like we have so many times that we gather with great joy, we give thanks that we are free to, to travel. Help those in our world who are um, sort of stuck in one place, those who can't go anywhere because they are refugees, their home has been left long behind and they are in tent villages waiting, waiting for someone to bring them to a new land. We pray for all those who suffer in our world from disease or hunger or a faithless life that is uh, empty and um, scary. Pray that you use us, Lord, to bring them good news and hope and courage. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask it. Amen. Well, I am so glad that everybody has come this morning because I guess... The word got out that it's Volunteer Appreciation Sunday. And you have come to be appreciated, which we do, do, do. Thank you so much. But also, you have come, I know, because you want your next assignment. You don't want to sit still and just bask in the glory of being appreciated. You want to pick up your duds and get out on the road again. And so the need right now, top of our list, I think, in uh, most churches would be evangelism oh evangelism that usually brings some sort of hush over the lutheran crowd or a sneeze so sorry stephanie bless you bless you <laughs> we need evangelists so be patient while joe lynn our volunteer coordinator gets all of you signed up for your particular neighborhood setting, your region, your city, the company you may be working in, the school, the sports teams, the mother's group, the country club, and then you get to pick your generational target, perhaps. Are you better with millennials? Would you like to work with um, seniors, young parents? Um, you can kind of uh, pick some of those things. But your goal is to bring the good news to all these people in these contexts, and do it in their own language, their own cultural um, touch signs, those things they honor, honor and know about, because the world is at risk. I don't think I even need to spell it out. We just open the paper, turn on the TV, everywhere, 
all around the world, there is trouble and sadness and division. We need to have people with the good news, and that is the good news ready to be shared, not just that we have it, but we share it with other people. Brian Jenkins was here this morning. He, he even upped my challenge to me when he said, as one of our better evangelists, you know, he's the one who has run and developed Chosen 300 with Sean Day. I said, oh, my word, Brian, I can't believe you came because I'm mentioning you in my sermon. But also, he says, well, just tell your people, Diane, if they just, how many times a day do you look at your cell phone, your watch, your this, your that, your that? If every time you did that, maybe it's, say, 10 times a day, you share the gospel with somebody. Say, 10 times a day, if we multiply that by 365 days a year, you would have 3,600 and some people who had been not touched by the word of Christ. And I said, holy mackerel, that makes my dream look like a peanut. I said, Brian, Brian, sometimes we don't even get out of our office for eight hours and see, to see all those people. And so therein, I'll let you chew on what he suggested. But we Lutherans sometimes are a little shy about stepping up to the plate at this way, in, the, in this evangelism story. And, uh, and so in a time with a world at risk, we need to maybe dig deep. Get that Holy Spirit cooking in your life. Because God, God's got lots of challengers in this world. Undecided people. And tradition says, though we Lutherans may be shy, God can still work with us. The Holy Spirit can set us on fire. We can make a difference. Wink, wink. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. That's better. You're warming up. So, while you're waiting for the assignment to come rushing in from Joe Lynn, let me just go into the text that I love this morning, the book of Acts. That story from Acts may not be your favorite, but let me tell you why I think it's so rich. Our missionary, the best missionary we seem to know, Paul, is doing a a very interesting thing this morning in Acts. It's a lesson in faith sharing and how to do your, your evangelism, really. He who would skillfully be able to travel from culture to culture to culture around the the globe in his world on ships, of course, having shipwrecks and being thrown overboard and a bunch of other things to cap off his challenges. But he knew how to share the gospel to a specific group where they are coming from in their particular culture. For instance, he would speak to Greeks and Romans and Jews and politicians and peasants and women and rabbis Not all of them can take the same approach in sharing the gospel. Now we find him this morning sitting in Athens, uh, oddly, all by himself. Now this doesn't mean to scare you in your evangelism enthusiasm, but the reason he has arrived at Athens is because his supporters dragged him quickly at risk of death from his last assignment in Thessalonica and in uh, Greece, in northern Greece, because the people there wanted to kill him, because his, he had to run for his life from delivering that particular message. And so he's sitting alone, kind of exhausted in Athens, while he waits and waits for a few days for Silas and Timothy, his, com- his two comrades, to come join him again on the mission. Never to be one to sit around and not use his time, he knows he's in a very sophisticated city. Athens was like New York City and Princeton and Harvard and all these things in one. There were philosophers sitting around talking about all of the, um, all the major gods and, and all the stories of Socrates and Plato. They were not an uneducated crowd, let's say. 
It's a wealthy city, full of commerce and trade, the seat of government, and uh, it was indeed a place that would strike awe in the hearts of most people. There were many schools of thought, though. Many different uh, arguments could be made in the courtyard. There were sessions that took place on what was called Mars Hill, which was kind of Mars being one of the gods as well. It's a marketplace for new ideas where people would debate and go back and forth. There's also, maybe we can put the picture up right now here, Ted, of Areopagus and Mars Hill. Here is the place where Paul ended up in Athens. The Areopagus, a great word, you have to practice saying it, but uh, Paul preached here. And this is Mars Hill. There's little wooden, or wooden, there's stone stairs carved up there. And then on the right, you see just about cut off the screen is a black big metal plaque that says, uh, this is where Paul preached his famous sermon at the Areopagus to all the philosophers. And we will be going to this very place on our cruise this fall in October because this is a Journeys of Paul cruise and this is certainly where Paul uh, made a big splash. And so we will be standing in this very spot. I've never been there before, but I'm very eager to go to the Areopagus. And this is indeed where all the uh, the trials took place. Politicians were here and people were sentenced to death and things. It was a very busy place. And Paul, though exhausted, preached one of his most masterful sermons. In order to get the audience to listen to you, Paul might train you, <clears throat> if you're a stranger, you need to flatter them to warm them up. Flatter them. You know how that goes. You're trying to break into a crowd. Maybe you don't agree with whoever they are, but you say, I think you're so well-read, even though what you think they're reading isn't what you think is right. But at least there is, you've got an entree. They've got your attention. So Paul flatters all these elite scholars in front of him. He says, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. What does he mean? There's all statues to the various gods all throughout Mars Hill, all around. And they, would, they weren't sure which god was the most important. So they actually added another, as it says in the scripture, to an unknown God to cover all their bets. We got all these big, big gig gods, but there's also maybe something we've omitted. So they put even a statue to an unknown God, to which Paul says, as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you because that's the God I know and I want you to hear about him. From then on he explains that there's God who was the creator of the heavens and the earth, the greatest God, including them. They are his offspring. This God isn't represented by little man-made statues of silver or gold. No, God is the maker of all things. And you are now given the opportunity to repent of your thinking. And the day is coming when God will return and you will be judged. He says, some of you may be groping. I love this word in there. We grope. Some of you grope after the gods of a living God, of some God. And I think that so describes today's culture. So many people you know, aren't fond of coming to the worship services, to churches, organized religion, but they are groping as if in the dark to find some consolation, some hope, some place where they can be lifted up again, where they can feel put back on their right track 
And so here even now, Paul is speaking 2,000 years ago to people groping, groping for the God that will bring them life. We may grope and search for this living God who is very near to us, says Paul, and then he wisely quotes one of their own beloved poets in his sermon, a poet who wrote these words, in him we live and move and have our being, and we are his offspring. This poet was artist and was not a Christian believer at all, but Paul uses his, the poetry of a well-known poet to bring them to attention and then changes the meaning of it. One modern commentator on this passage says, what Paul is saying here is the equivalent of testifying that God's got the whole world in his hands. All of us, philosophers, Athenians, everyone, we're all God's children, God's offspring. He continues his argument, we, the living persons, are his offspring, and all these man-made statues of gold and stone are wrong. You see, God has chosen a righteous man, says Paul, to come back and judge us. He doesn't name Jesus the Christ by name. They wouldn't know who that is. But they did know what immortality was. And they said, and we know he's the real deal, says Paul, because he raised this man from the dead as proof. Now that got their attention. He raised a man from the dead bodily. Wow. As Brian Jenkins would have us say here, amen? Amen. Amen. It's the Easter story. But he doesn't use the typical language. He's using it to go with the culture and what they would understand. Well, it turns out Paul had several believers that day, if you can believe that. And one of them was a member of the Areopagus, 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 now I can't say it, court. And so he's got the politician, the judge, the elite, beginning to believe in God. There were women who believed, and there were other people on top of that, that uh, hillside that day. And so begins the evangelism effort will grow. Now, if you're going to go out on your mission very soon, this evangelist volunteer job that you're accepting, you are going to need to approach different people with different tools. Teenagers. We have teenagers going to be confirmed in two weeks. They're writing their faith statements right now to be interviewed with uh, Pastor Keith and myself. And you're going to have to deal with teenagers' issues. There's lots of serious issues going on. Suicide rate is on the rise in teenagers once again. They are kids that know people in school that are missing now because of this. Uh, it is jarring. It's frightening. They need to know there is a creator God who loves them and can carry them through tough times. If you're going to approach somebody who is dealing with them, Uh, children or maybe a mother of twins, uh, you're going to have to have a different approach. Or a factory worker who's just been laid off, how is that going to be something Jesus can help? Or a golf pro, professional, on tour. But if you speak from the heart, most basically, God will lead you. Because really it's not up to you to have the words. The Holy Spirit, if you just get out of the way, will come and work through you and ignite a passion and fire and you'd be amazed what you'll be willing to say if you let the Spirit take control. So are you ready for this evangelism assignment? Have you got your story to tell? You may think, I don't have a very dramatic story to tell. Oh, I, I beg to differ. Any story where God is involved 
where God has led you, God has changed you, God has brought you here today, there's something percolating in you that's worthy of hearing by someone who is in need. The Spirit will plant seeds of faith despite our blocking it, despite our own attempt to be wise and crafty. It's the fire and passion of the Holy Spirit that will empower us all and give us courage until Christ returns. The clincher for Paul was this man that rose from the dead. That's what got their attention in Athens. That's what still gets people's attention today. But sometimes the resurrection takes place right now. I want you to watch a video that I found just by the Holy Spirit's leading me, I believe, this weekend. It, uh, it's from a person I've never heard of. His name is Beacon Light. He's a rapper, hip-hop rapper. I don't listen much to hip-hop rap, but I watched this video, and it moved me. It was powerful, so I read more about him. This person you're going to see today was sexually abused from the time he was in third grade. For five years, it went on. He was feeling worthless, ugly, filled with shame. And then his parents divorced, and he had a broken house to put up with. He hid his pain. Of course, as he grew older, he had to find things. He gambled. He took drugs in college, but he always felt empty. On he went until he attended a Christian men's group one day, and he cried out to God. And he admits there experiencing God is ten times better than any drug or drink or sexual experience Now his music is reaching out to so many others and bringing them faith in this God. Let's listen because he said his life has never been better because of this God, considering where he went. The video he's entitled is Made for Something Great. Let's listen. I've been wrestling with purpose. What was I created for? I'm more than what you see on the surface. See beneath my skin and scars. I'm skinned and scarred. Marred and twisted. Scarred by the past I need to be lifted. And sometimes I question my own existence. What was I put here for? In my seams, it seems that there seems to be more. It's like I'm a light unplugged from the socket. I mean, do I really exist to put money in my pocket? This nine to five feels like a nine to nine. My mind entwined, I pass the time, life circles me as I wait. What is my estate? I feel like I was made for something great, and yet I can't quite put my finger on it. But when I look at my fingers and I see their design, I realize I'm one of a kind, and something created me. No, someone created me. And that someone made me for a reason. Even though it's clear the past years have been treason, I still sense this drawing, this calling, that even in the midst of my falling, there was someone who died to pick me up, someone who rose to fix me up, someone who's coming back to lift me up. And that someone is Jesus. See, God made me for a purpose. And when I delight in him, it's brought to the surface.